everybody and welcome to Super Stonk Brothers. Today we are going to talk about potentially fundamental problems with blockchain technology in the bear case, but also maybe the promise for cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin in particular. With us to talk about this is Lars Doucet, one of the most thoughtful and insightful game industry thinkers I know of. And unlike many other pundits expounding on crypto, he actually is a technologist, meaning we will finally get an opinion by someone who actually understands the technology behind crypto. Well, that, Welcome, Lars. I, I really appreciate that intro. I, <laughs> it's I, all true. I'm, I, I appreciate you, 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 you bigging me up like that. I will, I will have to say that um, I, I like to think I understand this stuff. I don't want to pretend like I'm the world's foremost expert or anything. Um, mostly, my background is I'm a technologist. I'm a programmer, mostly in the video games world. I'm a consultant. So I help people consult on strategy and stuff. I like to think I understand the economics, and I've read a lot of the white papers, and I like to think I understand them. Um, and so that's kind of the basis on which, you know, um, folks like Joseph say nice things about me. Um, and to be clear, I want to take, I definitely am a big critic of blockchain, but that is not to say that I am just taking a big dump on the whole space. I love, I read the Bitcoin paper when it first came out. It's one of the most beautiful white papers I've ever read, honestly. It's just, um, and I love the promises. And basically my, my whole philosophy can be summed up as I'm waiting for the promises to arrive and I'm not ruling out the possibility that they, that, that someone won't be able to figure it out. And so I like to pose my criticisms, not so much as just dumping on the space so much as challenges, right? Like these right. are the breakthroughs people are going to need to really solve these problems rather than just kind of papering them over and, 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 and hope they don't matter because I think the bill does come due one day. And that's kind of the, the, right. the space I'm coming from. And I, I just want to make that clear right at the start. Got it. And just for the audience, uh, there were a couple of really, in, in my opinion, very insightful posts that Lars did write about uh, blockchain, including a concept he calls degraded blockchains, which we will uh, talk about. But I will put a link to those, to those blog posts in the show notes as well. But maybe we could start there, Lars, with uh, blockchain technology and that, that post that you wrote mm -hmm. on degraded blockchains. And in that post, you kind of alluded to potential issues right. around immutability, uh, trustlessness, and decentralization. And maybe can you talk to us about those issues and how do they not deliver on the promises that you talk, talk about in terms of that original white paper? Yeah. Um, can I share my screen? Does that work on your magic yeah, podcast system? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let me know if this is in frame here. But this, this little illustration here is the degraded blockchain problem. And it's not mm -hmm. the fundamental problem at the root of all blockchain stuff, but at least most of it that I've seen. Um, and the problem is not that blockchain can't deliver on its guarantees and Bitcoin in specific and also Ethereum, but it's that there's this weird kind of shell game I see a lot where you have a blockchain stores a record, right? Um, and it fulfills within the, the boundaries of the blockchain all of its guarantees. Um, trustlessness, immutability, decentralization, you know, like, let's just, let's just grant that the blockchain is magically perfect and can actually do those things. Cause there's some, there's some vulnerabilities sometimes, but let's just say in the main, it does. Even then the problem tends to be when you scratch the surface of any application that needs to consume a blockchain or interface with a blockchain, um, 
you have what I call the degraded blockchain problem, whereas there's this very weak and tenuous link that requires you to trust a central authority with immutable database to actually get the thing you care about. Like a classic example is all these NFT apps with little like cute little wiggle kitties or whatever it is. Um, the thing you actually care about is the application. The thing like an actual normie who doesn't understand blockchain cares about is like the little virtual critter or whatever virtual wealth they've purchased um, and that they supposedly own. What they own is the only thing they immutably own is a number on a blockchain. And the only thing that connects it to the thing they care about is convention and trust. And so I feel like the problem is whenever a blockchain has to talk to the outside world, you have this, what I call the degraded blockchain problem, where all of the things that a blockchain is supposed to guarantee, those promises get degraded because the connection to the outside system is, is in some cases completely arbitrary and can be swapped out almost at any time. So you're, you're trusting someone whether you want to or not. And I've yet to see, and I pose this as a challenge rather than a like blockchain's over forever. It's like, hey, if you can solve this, this is like the hard problem you gotta solve. Like the hard problem used to be solving the Byzantine generals problem and we solved that. So maybe someone will solve this, but I, I've kind of yet to see it. And it, it keeps resurfacing in so many different ways throughout things. Oh, and just an FYI, um, the reason my voice sounds so scratchy is because I, I have a cold. So um, just, just uh, I'll, be, I'll be fingering the mute button whenever I cough, uh, just FYI for the audience. No worries. And then in, in terms of that weak link, uh, what, what about things like smart contracts and things like that? So is, 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 do you think that things like that could potentially be expanded so that that weak link doesn't exist and more is put into like the blockchain or am I thinking about that in the wrong way? No, it's a good example. Uh, it, it, one of the, it, it's a really good example to, to bring up because these are like solutions people keep offering. It's like, what if we do this? What if we do this? But you got to zoom out and just look at the inputs and the outputs to the system, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the problem is, is that the blockchain is only an authority of information within the blockchain. Like until you can find some way to cram an entire app completely within the confines of the blockchain, like anytime it needs to call out to some external service for anything, then um, like, and then people's like source of caring is in interacting with the outside system, then that degrades the blockchain. Now, smart contracts, like, I mean, I've seen people who've claimed to stuff an entire app within the blockchain such that mm -hmm. applications that consume it are really just thin clients that don't do anything other than just choose to visualize that information somehow. Um, and of course, Bitcoin is like one of the most fundamental examples of a self-contained blockchain. It's like, you've got 10 Bitcoin, yup. And, um, and so um, I think smart contracts alone are not magical enough to do it um, because usually those smart contracts, especially when those smart contracts care about outside information, right? That's where you have these systems like, um, I've been reading up on them a little bit, called Oracles, where it's like, um, like Chainlink supposedly does this and these other services where it's like, okay, well, we're going to have these oracles that like, like, um, for instance, stable coins, right, that are pegged to the dollar. Well, how does the blockchain know what the value of a dollar is? You need an outside authority to tell you. And for the outside authority to tell you, it's like, okay, well, how do we solve that trust problem? And then that, mm -hmm. you scratch the surface, most of the analysis of those will show that ultimately there's more trust in the system than people realize. And um, mm -hmm. I just feel like, it is really, really, really hard to create a system that has no trust, that has no immutability, and that is completely decentralized. 
And um, like even the Lightning Network is more centralized than people give it credit for. And um, my kind of take is we need to just come to terms with these facts rather than denying them and just accept what trade-offs we're willing to make for certain different applications rather than just kind of deny that they exist because of the magic pixie dust of blockchain. You know, um, like the, the dream is beautiful and maybe someone will come up with some magical fancy math solution that does deliver on all these promises everywhere. But um, the more complicated the systems get, the more vulnerabilities seem to creep in. And the more it kind of feels a little bit like a magician trying to distract you from, well, like you're, you're still trusting somebody, you know, and do you have good grounds for trusting that person? Is it, basically my fundamental case um, with all of yeah. these extra systems. Um, and we can talk about the particulars of each system and how that cashes out, um, because I think there can be application and value in some of these systems depending on what choices they make. Yeah. I, before we do do that, Lars, uh, by, by the way, my name is Steve. It's nice, nice to meet you. I, uh, I'm not a Bitcoin Maggie, but I play one on TV <laughs> for the purposes of this discussion. Uh, um, you put your your finger on something really important, which is basically these these systems are too complicated to expect the average person to interact with them without kind of abstraction layer. The abstraction layer is developed by somebody that, that you need to trust. Right. Yeah, yeah. Do I have that more or less correct in terms of your argument? Yeah, well, that's, that's another application of it. That wasn't exactly what I was arguing, but that is certainly a corollary of it. It's... Um, okay. It's... it's so, so there's that aspect with, like, if you want normies to adopt Bitcoin or any other currency, like, at a wide scale... Like, you're making the whole convenience for security trade-off and the whole problem with exchanges. And, like, it, right. it's real. It's so hard to get people to practice good password hygiene, like, just for logins, right? <laughs> and those are systems that can be made cryptographically secure for that one aspect of, like, salting and hashing and, you know, and just, like, just, just don't use the same password for everything and don't put it on a yellow Post-it note on your screen. Like, it's hard for, like... Bitcoin, like like blockchain natives to like not get their, not screw up with their keys or, um, and especially to get into like the privacy coin places where like people accidentally undermine their privacy. Um, so there's that aspect. But what I'm also talking about is just building applications on blockchain and mm -hmm. adding things like layer two systems to compensate for the problems of layer one systems mm -hmm. inevitably tend to degrade one or all of the three promises of blockchain in some way that's not always immediately admitted by the community. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I think, think the question would then ask is, is how much, much does that matter? Yes, that is the million, right? billion and, dollar question. Yeah, so, so I'm going to put it this way, right? Um, the point of comparison, in my opinion, should not be the, the platonic ideal. That is, I guess, encapsulated in the paper. It should be the comparison with other systems that have ever existed. I, I very much agree. Right? right? Yeah. yeah. So with that in mind, we act through abstraction layers with the United States dollar, right. for instance, right? right? Uh, you know, and, and so this is the cash app, what's this Visa, MasterCard, but this is the Federal, Federal Reserve matter, right? right? Uh, ultimately, people place large, large amounts of trust in gigantic corporations, governments, every single day, and the system works. Right. Right? Um, and the system works because they believe it works. A sufficient number of people believe in the system um, that they, you know, use to ignore the fun problems with it, with it um, and it becomes a medium of exchange, right? Um, 
And I think think you've put it on the fact that block, blockchain is actually no different. Uh, returning to, to sort of the, the like fundamental block blockchain case, Bitcoin, because in many it's the simplest and also the first first manifestation of this of this system. Right. Um, the case that you could full node if you want to, right? And the blockchain and verify the transactions. People aren't just aren't going to right. Hard hardcores do that kind of right. thing. And I've seen wallets that. That that like integrates and stuff like this, like this, that's obviously not, not the solution that people are looking for, right? Right, and yet people people need to adopt the, this system, mm-hmm. right? Right. I would also also argue that yes, it is not possible for the average person person to interrogate the system um, along long lines driving, but but the layer, the base price protocol, uh, um, is it right? Right. It's uh, you can check it. <laughs> Uh, if there's a problem, uh, a court of law law go back and, and interrogates them, right? Right, uh, um, and it, it and it is not able to obfuscate what happened on the system. There's no there's no payment discovery process. Like if you were to sort of sue PayPal, right? For, right, you go to the block blockchain. It's just, well, here's the here's the chain of custody, and it's distributed all over the entire world. Yeah, and so I mean, I, mean I, I definitely agree with all those points, you know. And so the question is then becomes: it's mostly when people are in denial about these things that I object. Where, because that's a lot of the marketing fluff that this stuff is predicated on. And when you strip that away, where it's like, well, it's no worse than existing systems. I'm like, well, why don't we use existing systems? And then they'll bring up a lot of good uh-huh. points about those existing systems. Like the fact that they're controlled by giant corporations. And that if you need to send money to your aunt in Russia, you got to deal with all kinds of sanctions and stuff. And the fact that your assets can be frozen and stuff. One of the big challenges, I think, for normie adoption is that immutability is a feature for blockchain maximalists and blockchain natives, but it's arguably a bug for normies, right? Like the reason that I use a debit card is that if it gets stolen, I just yell at my bank and they replace the money, right? Uh You know, Uh like, whereas if I lose my Bitcoins and I complain about it online, a bunch of people will blame me for having bad, <laughs> for ba- having bad uh, cryptographic hygiene, right? And I mean, and yeah. it, it won't exactly be wrong because those are kind of the terms of Bitcoin, right? Yeah. And but like, if you yeah. want your grandmother, or the nation of El Salvador, to adopt Bitcoin in mass, you know, that's kind of a problem. Is not understanding what like like if you want mass adoption, right? And um, there are other, but, but like you're right about. Like, I, I believe in the marginal theory of value, which basically cashes out to a thing's value is what someone's willing to pay for it. And if you look at the whole mm-hmm. history of currencies, like even when we talk about like hard currencies, like most hard currencies were actually a lot softer than people realize, even if they weren't like debased monetarily. Like if you look at the history of cowrie shells and what was it, the rye stones in some part of Polynesia, I think. And then um, yeah, the Yam Islanders. I yeah, yeah. And then also stuff just like local currencies based on demurrage like in Wurgle, Austria during the um, during the Great Depression is a really fascinating mm-hmm. case study of just there's land, there's labor, there's capital and when people want work it doesn't really matter what your means of exchange is so long as there is one and there's enough buy-in. I mean, and then just the fact that like 98% of the currency in Somalia is counterfeited and it doesn't seem to matter is a wild case study <laughs> if you've never gone down that rabbit hole. Like, like in Somalia right now, there's like 98% of the money in circulation is just counterfeited and 
it doesn't seem to be a problem. Like the economy yeah. is still functioning somehow. So I am fully ready to believe that um, any arbitrary, weird means of exchange can accrue value, right? I mean, and just like, I mean, the market caps of all these crypto coins is kind of proof of that. The question is if it's sustainable long term and if it's, you know, and, and what the exact implementations need to be and what's it going to look like in the future, you know? Um, yeah. Like, I think proof of work is a real problem. I think it needs to go. Um, proof of mm -hmm. stake does raise its own vulnerability issues people need to grapple with, but I think, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, blockchain just doesn't have a future unless it's proof of stake because just even if people are like, yeah, well, the dollar system uses a lot of energy too and basically I'm going to attribute all wars to costs of the dollar, it's like, well, blockchain's only going to get more expensive. Bitcoin specifically is only going to get more expensive, not less. It's built into the design. And so even if it's on par with the dollar today, it won't be tomorrow. And um, so I, I think proof of stake has to be the future. But then the, I, I think the real future of electronic currencies is more philosophical because um, one thing that I love about the original Bitcoin paper is it's, I mean, it's, it's just eight pages. It's so short. It's so concise. It's so clear and also groundbreaking in the problem it solved. But it also, something I think is sometimes lost on people, not always, is that it's as much about aligning, it's as much a social program as it is a computer program, right? Yeah. Like half of the problem is making these cryptographic assurances. The other half is aligning incentives, right? So that even in the presence of a couple bad actors, people are incentivized to do the right thing. And so then the question becomes, what is the right thing that we want to incentivize? And where I kind of get off the bus is using blockchain as a store of value. Um, and this obsession with deflationary, like like the digital gold phenomenon, and that's just because mm -hmm. I'm I'm not a hardcore libertarian. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm just not. I'm, I have respect for those who are, but um, I have like, like like Bitcoin was originally pitched as a currency. It is clearly not a currency because it doesn't fulfill the things you right. want for a currency. It's it's being used as right. a speculative instrument. And it's being touted as a store of value. And I mean, I don't think it's sustainable just because it's proof of work. Maybe something will replace it that's proof of stake. And um, and um, I see a lot of risks for, you know, governments coming in and crushing the whole project. And then oh, there's also all mm -hmm. these different, but what's really interesting to me is all the different things people want to use blockchain for. Like the people who want to use it for, okay, Bitcoin wasn't private enough, so let's go all privacy coin like Monero. And then other people like, Bitcoin is too uh, volatile, so we need to go in the stable coin direction, right? And then people mm -hmm. were like, well, it's really a platform for building um, a database in the sky that isn't centralized, so we can have decentralized control over applications. And that's Ethereum and everything that came after it. And then, you know, all the NFTs and the NFT-based games that we see now. And so, like, some of the, if, if you want a good criticism on any aspect of blockchain, just find a partisan from a different camp and they'll <laughs> like give you a, 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 a like like a really detailed take on the camp they don't like okay, and so if yeah. you just read all of them you can kind of get a perspective on the whole space um and so it's just so it's it's uh, uh chinese versus soviet communists yeah, 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 right yeah. like no more powerful yeah, enemies and people stand standing right next yeah, to their bitcoin, right? ideologically bitcoin mars since, since we're talking a little bit about Bitcoin, could you maybe go a little bit deeper in terms of your thoughts in terms of Bitcoin? You, you talked about it, you know, 
not a currency, right. you know, potentially speculative asset. You don't really consider it as a store of value. But like in, in that case, and given some of the issues that you mentioned in terms of, you know, trying to do things at the you know, layer two level. Right. And then we've got kind of like these third generation blockchains coming out right. as well. Do you, and and the, the other issues that you mentioned with like proof of work versus proof of stake. Do you think Bitcoin is long-term viable given some of these inherent issues or do, what, what's your outlook on Bitcoin itself relative to uh, Ethereum or some, something else coming up? I mean, so first of all, profits of doom are often wrong. So, I mean, these are, you know, if I'm so smart, why don't I short Bitcoin, right? And the thing is because I'm often wrong about things, but these are, this is my best educated guess about what's going on, you know, sure. um, rather than just absolute profit-like confidence, but it's basically, I think Bitcoin's just fundamental problem is proof of work, right? A lot of Bitcoin's value is actually underpinned by that proof of work um, in, in a really simple way. Like if it costs, um, I don't know, I'm just making up a number, but like if it costs a thousand dollars to mine to verify a new block in terms of electricity, well, then you're not willing to do that unless the Bitcoin reward you get for verifying it is worth at least that much. And so that becomes a dry, like the proof of work, you know, which is really proof of waste, if we're really honest about it, is, 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 a, is a big driver of the price. And, um, and I think that has like real environmental costs. And I think it's kind of useless to compare that to, you know, how many drone strikes are needed to support the dollar because we don't need to run it on proof of work. We could run it on proof of stake for a different set of trade-offs. Um, proof of work is beautiful in a way because... It's one of the few ways to get outside information into the blockchain because of what the proof of work represents, right? Under the current like knowledge of physics and lack of knowledge of quantum computing, no one could have solved this math problem mathematically unless I know they spent a hell of a lot of electricity. And that's a beautiful magic trick which allows you to bring outside knowledge into the blockchain in a way that's almost impossible otherwise. Proof of stake is like, it's, it's only knowledge within the blockchain itself. It's like, well, you have a block on this, you, you have a coin on this blockchain and you have enough coins to stake and you're putting your coins at risk. And so proof of stake is interesting because it, I'm going to get back on the point real quick. Proof of stake is interesting because it's more economic incentive. Like if you have enough stake to do 51% attack, you're not going to want to because you're going to lose all your stake because you don't want to crash the asset you own. Um, but Long term, I don't see a future for Bitcoin unless it gets off proof of work. Um, then there is layer two, right? Everyone's like, well, the Lightning Network, the Lightning Network. And I think the Lightning Network is, to be frank, a big fat admission that Bitcoin doesn't work. And um, because of that, we need to use the Lightning Network. Now, the Lightning Network does solve some practical problems. And as long as they're willing to bite the bullet on the trade-offs and be honest about them, I mean, okay, you know, go for it. Um, but what it basically amounts to is not using the blockchain and the problem, the, the vulnerabilities of Lightning Network is that it's more centralized than people realize and it's vulnerable to attacks that the blockchain itself is not because it's not the blockchain. It doesn't have the guarantees of Bitcoin itself. It's a way to tolerate a certain amount of risk in order to offload the problems on the blockchain. I mean, if you're willing to bite that bullet, great. But I think ultimately, um, you need you, you would like a system devised from the ground up to not have all of Bitcoin's baggage. And there is a and, and that's where you get another big problem is that in a world where we have incentivized people to make all these ASICs 
and get so savvy about crypto and build all this hardware, new coins have such a hard time getting off the ground. Um, like when we built Bitcoin in 2009, 2008, not we, but the world, Satoshi, whoever he is, um, yeah, they, they <laughs> you know, yeah, they, she, you know, space alien, who knows, um, probably dead now, um, made Bitcoin. They, um, they, they said like, kind of almost like just cutely one CPU, one vote, almost like it would be like running SETI at home. Right. There wasn't this mm. world ready to exploit it. So you launch Bitcoin today and it'll immediately be overtaken by these huge mining pools um, before it can gain so much buy-in that it's resistant to that. And so that's one of the things that keeps Bitcoin valuable is the fact that it was first and was most popular. And so even despite its flaws, it's, it's much harder to attack than other um, blockchains that are newer, right? And, and, so, and so that's a challenge for any new blockchain trying to get off the ground is you'll never be as, like, how do you get to be as big as Bitcoin and have that valuable network effect that protects the system in a world where everyone is just ready to go nuts on day one, you know? And so that's, um, so, I, I, and then there's the question you were alluding to, these, these new next generations, like, I think they're, um, let me look up in my notes, uh, what is it, Solana? Solana, Terra. And so I don't know as much about those. I, I did a little reading um, just to prepare and it seems like um, some of those, I forget which one is which, but one of them recently had a DOS attack like just a couple of days ago, I just read. A lot yeah. of <laughs> And Thank there you. were criticisms that, well, it's a lot more centralized than people gave it credit for, you know? And maybe you're fine with that, you know? And, um, and then also there's the whole algorithmic stablecoin thing, which is interesting. And it, and it gets back to this degraded blockchain problem. It's like, okay, we're going to have these algorithmic stablecoins like pegged to the dollar, right? And, and various other currencies. But instead of being like, what was the one that like everyone, everyone had all the problem tether, right? That got all that scrutiny. Cause it was just like, yeah. we just got a vault full of dollars and we promise there's $1 for every stable coin. And like, it was just like nakedly trusting them. And then it turns out they didn't have necessarily all these dollars. So the algorithmic stable coins are interesting because they have smart contracts that are like, okay, well, when it falls below a dollar, we like exchange internally so that, you know, we like deflate or inflate the supply of the token so that it stays close to the peg. Um, but that ultimately relies on an oracle to tell you the value of a dollar. And but then you can be like, OK, well, it's going to rely on traders action so that when it trades for above a dollar, the way it gets pegged is a user can then exchange it in a way that's like beneficial to them. And so it moves the market in the direction we want. And it's like, OK, but. The smart contract to be fulfilled in that way still needs to know the value of a dollar somehow, which still relies on an oracle. And a lot of the security of oracles relies on, well, there's more oracles that can yell at these oracles if they're wrong. What if these guys are wrong? <laughs> well, these guys can yell at them. And it's like, you know, well, maybe that works, but you're, you're still trusting it. And you just got to admit that's what you're doing and bite that bullet to, to use that system. Um, and so just moving from proof of work to proof of stake, like makes me a lot happier and a lot more skeptical about Bitcoin, about blockchain. Um, the NFTs in particular, I have a special kind of concern about, but just mm -hmm. if you want to create some digital money in the sky and you're honest about the tra security trade-offs you're actually making and the amount of trust people do need to have or have not, 
then okay. And as long as you're not just burning tons of fossil fuels to run it, like, okay. Like, I mean, like, cowrie shells and big immovable stone rocks and, you know, just the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, like, are enough to move the economy somehow. So I buy that your magical digital cloud money can too, so long as you're just upfront and honest about its limitations, you know? And, that, and that's kind of where I just, I come from. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that. I, I, you're absolutely right to put your finger on these, like, necessary and fundamental trade-offs that there's simply nowhere around, like, like at a very fundamental, you know, physical level. Um, you have to, you know, deal with iron triangles, mm -hmm. right? When it comes to distribution of systems and security, immutability, um, and ease of use, right, or transactability. Um, and you, you, you can choose any number of combinations of trades, right? And they will result in compromises. Um, proof of work is useful. Um, if you believe that, like, we, we could uh, be doing our stuff um, to accomplish what Bitcoin accomplishes with that energy, right? It, <laughs> the stake makes a lot, a lot more sense under that, uh, I guess, fundamental framework. Um, but if, if your concern then is, what is the distribution of work within the system? I think proof of work makes more, more sense than proof of stake in some ways because proof of stake is predicated on oligarchy, literally. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the, one of the arguments I've, I've read, um, which is not to, to say that oligarchy uh, is necessarily going to evolve into tyranny. In fact, if your oligarchy is distributed properly, it can be very, very stable long period of time. Will be stable forever, right? Yeah. Um, um, you're also right to put your finger on the exogeneity versus endogeneity problem right. for that reason, right? It, and I think you made a beat up about the like um, the uh, the the external order of information um, into blockchain or proof of work, right? Um, I, I personally think proof of work is a pretty important characteristic um, um, that will ultimately cause coin to win and out, mm -hmm. um, not notwithstanding its first move for advantage, just network effects, which are right. obviously mass uh, advantage. Um, um, but because, yeah, we're burning a lot of fossil fuels to do now. Uh, uh, I think going to change and change fairly rapidly, um, um, especially as the price, price mm -hmm. rises um, and the price of alternative energy falls. Um, I have sent posited uh, by people who like the fine, the fine folks at uh, Kathy Woods, Woods are best that, that uh, proof of work may actually incentivize uh, uh, the carbon transit trans in, in some ways, uh, away from wasteful, you know, burning of fossil fuels to uh, re renewables, as that's the, cheap, the cheapest way um, to set up basically Bitcoin mining right. Right? Um, and, and maximize it. I mean, um, Oh, yeah, Go ahead. I'm so, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but... Um, no. Yeah, well, I mean, my, my basic response to that is that I agree that proof of work is this really brilliant and elegant solution to the problem. The only problem is yeah. that it costs too much. And it works because it costs too much. Like, that's what makes it work. And um, I'm not as optimistic as you are that we're going to move to this green economy and that it's going to incentivize things. And... and the, the thing that gives me pause there, and I'd love to be wrong about it, but the thing that gives me pause there is Jevons' paradox. And Jevons' paradox mm -hmm. is something we see a lot in energy economies, which is when you make 
the efficiency of the use of a resource cheaper. I mean, when we make the efficiency of a resource's consumption better, we use more of it, not less. And we use more of it, what, like, the increase in our use of it is greater than the gain in the efficiency. And a good example mm-hmm. of this is when mm-hmm. we invented the fuel injector for cars or when we got better at oil refining. Like, we basically were able to extract, like, I don't know what the number is, but, like, two times, three times, one and a half times, like, the amount of usable, like, mileage in a car from a barrel of oil. And we wound up, like, so if we would double the amount of miles we could go from one barrel of oil in terms of amount of gasoline we can make and an amount of miles we can get out of a gallon of gas... Um, so even if we could double that just from efficiency, we would triple the amount of miles we actually drove. And this mm-hmm. happens. And, and, and the thing that's kind of sad about Jevons paradox is it's kind of, it's kind of the evil twin of Moore's law, right? Jevons paradox <laughs> eats Moore's law. And, uh, you kind of see like people kind of complain about this, that like, um, like, like what's the aphorism? What more gives Bill Gate bill, what, what more gives Gates takes away like, um, that um, or or now whatever the CEO of Google is takes away because they make Chrome like like the, <laughs> RPGI, the yeah, computers yeah. get faster and the experience gets slower because just the software gets lazier or whatever, um, right. and that's kind of like if we're banking on Moore's law to save us, I don't think it'll save us because first of all like there's signs that it's slowing down in general, and there's even if it wasn't mm-hmm. like the whole point of Bitcoin is to get more expensive and the only way it gets like like the the difficulty increases and the and it, it kind of needs to continue to increase in order to maintain security and then if you want like a pressure valve off of that you need to take transactions off the blockchain which introduces its own things i mean maybe you're okay with those trade offs mm-hmm. but i mean then you just got to be honest that you're okay with those trade offs and you're no longer dealing with vanilla bitcoin you're dealing with vanilla bitcoin plus lightning network which is a new thing that has its own sets of pros and cons and um, mm-hmm. so maybe some weird hybrid system like that might take off in the future. I mean, I do, I, I, I do remain bearish on proof of work. I do respect that argument. Um, but um, that's kind of my case for why, why I don't entirely buy it. Hey, La- yeah, yeah. Lars, and uh, right, maybe right. one other follow-up question with respect to Bitcoin is one of the things that Elon Musk tweeted about is with respect to whether it's Bitcoin or Doge is he talked about you know, how does a cryptocurrency become the currency of Earth? And he was talking about speeding up block time by 10x, increasing block size by 10x and 10x and dropping fees by 100x. Yes. And, to, and like whether it's with the with lightning or something else, a uh, layer two or s- something else, like how possible is Bitcoin able to kind of take on those characteristics that Elon Musk had tweeted about? I, if, if you were to believe that, you know that Elon Musk is is uh, on the right path. I mean, I, I think right I think I think he's right because it's like it costs like what? Well, like the average. I, I, my my data might be old. And I'm not sure if this was Bitcoin or some other blockchain. Someone was saying, but it's like transaction fees are like twenty bucks, and the average transaction is like fifty. So like you're paying forty percent of your transaction. Like that's outrageous. And so um, so the solution is. I mean, I think there is no solution as long as it's proof of work based. Um, you can eventually just. You know, you can lightning network it to make it a little bit better. But I mean, so so like if we just want to be completely trusted, right, and completely mute, like if we throw away all the promises, I can make you a network that's as fast as possible. I can make a little SQL database that says Joe, Joe Kim owns a buck 
a Lars Buck and Lars owns a Lars Buck and now Lars sends a, you know, just select from Lars, you know, right to Joe and I can scale that up to be as arbitrarily fast as you want and it has none of the guarantees of blockchain and you just have to trust me and I can screw with it whenever I want. And right. so clearly we can get the transaction volume we want. The question is how can we get that transaction volume and then decide which of these assurances are worth trading off some of that, you know, maximum speed, right? And um, because every one of those assurances requires you to add complicated friction, like, okay, well, everyone needs to be able to verify that that transaction happened so that, or it needs to be out in public where everyone can see it and check it and there's this dispute mechanism and, you know, um, and there's a way to keep it from being immutable. Like, um, we just have to decide which of those things are, are the bullets we're willing to bite. And I think all these elaborations, either through side chains um, or, you know, and maybe there's going to be layer threes after layer twos or these next generation things like Terra and Solana and Luna, um, you know, which are kind of like trying to take the Ethereum model, but take it past proof of work, you know, because like proof of stake is coming any day now for Ethereum, guys, you know, who knows when it's actually going to happen. Um, so, so like these, these <laughs> next generations like Solana, Solana and Luna and all that, like, um, they're basically just staking out different parts of the possibility space of, well, let's take these trade-offs and try and increase our speed. I, I do think if you want a currency and not just a digital asset to hoard, you right. need those features. And then the other thing you need is a philosophical buy-in of what is the point, right? And that's just as important because um, there are crypto, most cryptocurrencies are effectively deflationary. Like, yeah, more Bitcoins come into existence, but, but the price always goes up. And at some point along the way, that became the point. That wasn't necessary. That, that was never alluded to in the original Bitcoin white paper that the point of Bitcoin is to hodl and to get rich. Like it described the point was to make even small transactions casually and order pizzas, right? That is true. And um, now it's up to the big, that, that's a feature of the Bitcoin network is it's kind of a democracy. Satoshi's probably dead. If he's not, he's the best secret keeper or she or they or whatever is the best secret keeper in the history of the universe. Um, but it's not Satoshi's project anymore. It's, it's the Bitcoin community's project. And that, that they decided that they wanted it to kind of be a store of value. And um, I think that's a dead end. But that doesn't mean that some other blockchain can't achieve digital currency status. It's just got to decide what the right trade-offs are and what the point is. Right. Like um, there are some inflationary um, cryptocurrencies like uh, Frycoin is one of them. And um, maybe it's not a very good example of one. I checked its history and like it's like volume for like the past week is like zero, 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 like thirty six dollars, <laughs> zero, you know, like in terms of people actually using it. So I feel like there's a not a lot. And this ties into my feeling about crypto games is that I feel like right now the crypto space's main problem is that there's a lot of people here who want to get rich and want to invest, but there's not enough users who are willing, like especially in crypto games, the problem is all the people who are playing games like Axie Infinity, they're, some of them are playing the game, but most of them are playing it to gold farm. And to like everyone putting in a dollar is expecting a dollar fifty back. You don't have anyone who's just like, I'm going to give you five bucks in exchange for fun you know, and that's, you, you need a wide basis of actual, well, like, especially for crypto games of, of just like people who are there to just put money into the system rather than people who just to take it out of them. Like yeah. for a currency, you need money to circulate. Money is like blood. If it all collects right. and just like pools in the feet, 
That's called diabetes, and it'll kill you. <laughs> so that's kind of my take. Steve, yeah. do you have any other follow-up questions on Bitcoin? But maybe we could actually transition into talking about crypto and games as well. But I don't know if you have that's any other... a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think Lars, you and I could more more about Bitcoin <laughs> and, and like the fundamental principles of crypto. But let's let's go to... Well, actually, I do. I, I have one last question for you, Lars, in terms of digital currencies, cryptocurrencies. Yeah, like, sure. So it sounds like you're kind of bearish on Bitcoin itself. But do you think there will be what, like a third generation... Uh, blockchain that emerges as a eventual, you know, currency of Earth? I'll put it this way. Like, I'm not willing to rule it out, you know, and okay. I'm, I'm certainly I'm not going to put my money in any of the current offerings, um, but I'm not willing to rule it out. And, and that's because, like, if you take an expansive enough definition of blockchain to be, you know, I mean, some of these blockchains are like, I'm not saying that they all are, but like some of them are just like, they're not blockchains at all. They're just like a digital thing and the white paper is flimflam, you know, but we kind of group that under blockchain. So if you take an expansive enough definition of blockchain, like there's going to be a digital currency in the future. There kind of already is, right? You know, and so it's, that's inevitable. And so the question is just what features is it going to have and who's going to do it? And I do think the actions of governments are really important. And so the question is, what are they going to do? Like you have stuff like Monero, which has taken the privacy angle and because it's taken the privacy angle that's the one all the criminals want to use and people are like well people use cash for crimes as well and it's like yes but like i mean whether it's fair or not it doesn't matter the problem monero has to grapple with is when the axe comes down it'll probably come down first on things like monero you know whether that's right or not you know and then the question is i don't think we've seen a really full frontal sustained governmental attack on blockchain like we've seen, yeah. we've seen nipping around the buds, and it's not clear to me that it can sustain it. You know, I think uh, the the Chinese were in a position to to do that, and they went exact exactly the opposite right. and kicked and kicked all the mine. Um, I, I was I was actually worried that that the Chinese would nationalize all of them and use them to conduct a one percent percent attack. Oh, yeah. on Bitcoin. I, that was ac actually the biggest systemic, systemic risk uh, historically to Bitcoin, and now it's it's impossible. So, right. I mean, and, and the, know, protected themselves, themselves offensive, probably themselves down the line in my end. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that, that's that's the thing is, it's like the Chinese have always been looking for a way to get a reserve currency that doesn't depend on the dollar, and you know, people have always been predicting all kinds of blockchain things around it. I think we will eventually see something that will be called like a blockchain global digital currency how blockchainy it actually is is remains to be a question um I, I do think that's inevitable but i think it's one of those prophecies where you can like kind of leave it vague and open-ended enough to like draw a circle around it when it happens and 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 see like yeah, my definition is big enough for that so um i mean especially like if you like Scott talks about like the digital dollar and stuff like at the very least you're gonna have in response to cryptocurrencies, just like a little bit of improving just the massively just just baggage-laden financial network of the world. Um, whether that's going to be completely trusted and mutable and, you know, centralized or not is, is open for debate because governments tend to like to hoard all kinds of responsibility and power for themselves. So, I mean... I'm not willing to rule it out. I think something like it will happen and then we'll debate who was actually right based on what actually happens and what definitions we used when we originally predicted it. Okay, games. So 
I think uh, you were alluding to it, Lars, but there does seem to be a little bit of a craze in terms of the of crypto and gaming. And the word on the street that I'm hearing is that it's not just startups trying to get funding. It's from what I'm hearing, literally every like major gaming company has some effort in this area. And from my perspective, one of the things I wanted to um, test with you, Lars, is just in, in terms of when we speak about the different applications in gaming. And so the way that I understand it, it is like, let's say first is ability to create on-chain game items. Mm -hmm. Main benefit, which is to enable easier transactability and ownership of an item outside of a game. Mm -hmm. Second is more about the business model and the enablement of pay to earn system. You mentioned axes and, you know, I mean, whether you, you see that's good or bad, I, you know, in, in terms of are they playing for the money? Or are they playing for right. the fun? But like that model, it, it enables that model. And then finally would be the enablement of some type of player governance model through, right. through DAO. And yeah, but yeah, I don't know. How how do you view kind of crypto applied to gaming? I think it's really, it's potentially really interesting. You know, like none of those things have to be bad. Um, I think they tend to be in practice because there's just a lot of naivete in this space, honestly. Um, yeah. But I, it's a lot like the Bitcoin white paper. There's a lot of promise, and I hope those promises get fulfilled. Um, but in the short term, I don't see a lot of that happening. And let, let me give you an example. I get a lot of pitches across my desk because uh, I'm a consultant. And so people come to me like, help me advise on my company. And I, I see two things. I see game people getting into crypto who don't understand crypto and crypto people and finance people getting into games who don't understand games. And this is very familiar for me because I started my career in educational games, right? A field where the two sides do not understand each other at all. And the products largely reflect that with very few beautiful exceptions. You know, um, like, I mean, on my part, like, I kind of went, it's like, I'm going to teach these morons how to teach. And then I realized how little I knew about pedagogy and how humble I needed to be. And then at the same time, you would have, like, administrators and stuff who had never understood, like, a computer program, let alone a game, trying to preach to me about game design. I was like, oh, God. And all of the garbage fires you would expect that come from that. Um, through no real fault of your side, just from ignorance. And so... So the game industry can be a little navel-gazing, and we do need fresh blood, and we do need fresh blood, but it's kind of like when someone comes in and is like, I don't know a thing about games, and that's why I'm so valuable is because I'm not, like, hidebound. I, I get worried because the pitches I inevitably get are basically just, like, finance schemes with, like, no gameplay, right? Or very paper-thin gameplay, or, like, some little, like, oh, we put in this, this little mini-game, and then you earn some money. And it's like, well, if I do the math, I could just invest in like, like spiders or ETFs on the stock market and earn more than this game is making me. So what, what's the point here? Um, well, they don't give me half the money or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, I've, I've seen like so many pitches along um, those lines um, where um, a good example is, and it mostly comes in the form of people trying to charge digital rent and digital rent seeking, you know? So the way this tends to manifest, and it's like, and these are not unique. I see dozens, dozens, dozens of these all exactly the same. Um, like a really good example is Earth 2. Um, it's just Google Earth with a bunch of plots of land, and you can just buy Nebraska if you want. What does that mean? Well, now you own Nebraska on Earth 2, 
and you can like supposedly like charge people rent in the future for it and your your share is gonna I'm not sure if this was Earth 2 or some other scheme like this like I see so many of them they're all the same it's like your ownership in this system is gonna give you basically like um, dividends or rent or whatever um, Axie's a special case again and Axie specifically later but like all these systems it's like okay you put money into the system you get money out but it will take me like a hundred years to make 30 bucks on a hundred dollar investment why would I do that um, or it's like when this gets big and it will then you can make money off of all the other suckers who get in after you and <laughs> I'm like now how is that sustainable right you know um, and and it's like if it's just predicated on number go up it's like well number has to go up forever for it to work and I just come back to with 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 it's just really simple if you're making a game with pay to earn like pay to earn doesn't have to be bad play to earn that's Freudian slip pay to earn right no. kind of revealing but like if you're making a play a true play to earn game you need to create genuine value I mean I mean if you think about it Photoshop is a play to earn app right Microsoft Word is play to earn you know it's like I use this app I play around in this app and then I get some money why? Because I created some productive value that someone else is willing to exchange money for, right? Someone else is like willing to do an honest trade with me. It's like, I enjoyed that paper you wrote for the think tank that I employ you to work at. So thank you for playing Microsoft Word. Here is your earn, you know? And you can do this in a game, right? If you make it a platform ecosystem, a good example is Roblox, right? You know, and they don't have any blockchain magic. It's 100%. You got to trust Roblox, and they take Monopoly rents off of everybody's cut because they own the whole system top to bottom, and maybe we could improve on that. But um, the point is, like, you got to have a basis of consumers, right? Like, if you're making some app where you're paying people dividends or rent or whatever, that money cannot just come from other investors because then it only is sustainable while the system is growing. And, um, like, like... <clears throat> Right? Like, the, the, the you know, uh, that, that's kind of where people get off calling on Ponzi schemes. I don't think they're exactly the same, but, you know, you need to have a sustainable basis of people who are like, I'm going to put $5 into this ecosystem because I had fun. And why did I have fun? Because I rode this Ferris wheel someone built. And so that Ferris wheel creator is going to get a cut of the digital ticket I play. Like, you can't have a carnival that's all carnies and, like, no attendees, Right? It needs to be like 90% attendees and 10% carnies is actually pushing it, you know? And most of the games I see is it's like, yeah, there's people who play Axie, um, but most of them are, are either people on scholarship or, or whatever. Like, 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 there's an actual game in Axie, and I'll give it credit for that. But um, most of it is predicated on, on, on basically more people continuing to buy into the system. And that doesn't have anything to do with blockchain at all. Right, and I think, in terms of blockchain, I think Axie is more centralized and trusted than people give it credit for, um, especially with their si their own inside chain. Um, but the thing that really concerns me about Axie is just uh, the digital land grab aspect of it that's supposed to be coming that we see in other games. Is that right. so in Axie, the Axies themselves can be bred. There's more Axies that can be made. But what's concerning is there's going to be a land phase of the game, and then like Earth Two, same way, like all these other land grab games, it's like. We want a platform where people build, right? We want to encourage creators. Like, they have all these grandiose plans to be, like, second life, you know? And um, 
but there's a fixed amount of land and that's great because you can do a pre-sale of land and FOMO kicks in and everyone knows that land in real life is a great source of rent. So people buy up all the land, but in the game, the land is scarce and it's necessary to do all the creator stuff. And so I've, I wrote this paper called uh, Digital Land Speculators Will Kill Your Game's Growth for Game Developer Magazine and where I detail like the 30 year history of MMOs. And this is why it's important that you know, a lot of these crypto and DeFi folks coming in don't understand games. A lot of game developers don't understand the history of games. But if you go back and look at the 30-year history of MMOs, every MMO that has had land-like assets, blockchain or no, um, has had a digital housing crisis, which is a lot like the housing crisis we have in real life, where the rent goes up, people can't buy houses, and so San Francisco rents go up until you have a crisis. And um, it's because you're incentivizing to hold scarce productive assets out of use and um i mean economists have written about this for over a century like 150 year history going back to adam smith and thomas Paine, david ricardo henry george all wrote about this and you know what you implement their solutions in mmos and it works um there was uh what were some of the games uh, eve online had a digital land recession in 2003 right when it launched and they implemented a digital land tax and it fixed the problem. Like you can't create scarce assets that you need to use to participate in economic activity. And then like, like it's digital, like it doesn't have to be scarce, but people do that because they can have this massive presale. And the problem with that is that you then set up a dilemma that you can't fix because now you have a class of aristocrats, landed aristocrats, literally who own all the land. And they're some of your, and this is going to get into the DAO thing, is they're like your most invested player base, like literally, right? And they own all the productive assets and they have an incentive to collect rent on it or wait for someone else to pay more rather than, um, than use it and put it to productive use rather than build on it. And then you have people who actually want to use it, but they're unlanded peasants. And so you have to now, now that you've done that huge pre-sale on a fixed asset, you have a dilemma of which side you want to favor. Do you want to break your promise that land will forever be fixed and just print more land and appeal to the peasants? In which case, these people will be pissed. They'll probably leave your game for something else. Um, or do you want to kind of suck up to the people that you made all those promises to and that probably are the source of most of your income? In which case, no new people want to come into your system because there's no way to get the rights to participate in it. It's like, I don't want to move to medieval France where I get to be a surf, you know, or whatever. <laughs> like, I want to move to the frontier of America where there's land available. Now, granted, that land was forcibly taken from people. Um, but the reason that people came to America is because it's like, you can not be a surf, you know? I mean, granted, we also enslaved all these people. History is horrible and complicated. But um, that's, that's kind of my, my deal about that. And when it comes to DAO and governance tokens, I, I love that idea in one sense. Like, I love this idea of, and this just comes full circle to like, I like the idea of having a way to give control to players. And you can see in the open what the assets are. And so you can see if we try to rug pull you and maybe you can have control over that so we can't rug pull you. And then it would be nice if, you know, you could have a vote, right? You could vote to decide what happens in the update to World of Warcraft. You know, so like we have to agree to stuff. The challenge then becomes is if you set it like like you have to be aligned on the philosophy because otherwise the aristocrats all vote. Um, 
yeah, we are never going to change the economic system in a way that doesn't favor us. And then the game's no fun and it stagnates and there's no growth. And this is kind of Bitcoin's problem is I don't think Bitcoin can ever move to proof of stake, even if a lot of people thought it wanted to, because so many people are invested in proof of work that you're, you're, you're going to have a hard time switching it over um, until like maybe 10 years from now where the writing's absolutely on the wall and it's too late. Um, and I think that's kind of the challenge with the AOs is in game design in general, like, I mean, I mean, there's always a tension in game design is like you want to listen to your players, but players don't always know what they want. And sometimes, like, I mean, players will complain about this This gun's overpowered, this gun's underpowered, this gun is lame, this gun is cheese, this gun is OP, and then they're like, okay, well, this will... And, and, and so sometimes, like, democracy is not a good way to design a game, but, um, I mean, I think you just have to... I think it is a cool idea, and the problem is it kicks the problem down the road, the philosophical problem of what do we want and why still remains that thorny unresolved issue and you know that's something people are free to work out i love people experimenting and as long as we're not burning up the world in the process i say experiment some more um that's kind of um my full kind of take on everything um lars would you say there's a specific example or a way in which you think that blockchain could be used well in a game yeah, that's a good example. Um, Clearly not land. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's like, I mean, there's no reason digital land has to be scarce. That's the thing that confuses me so much is it's like, yeah. I mean, anyway, but like blockchain way could be used in the game. Like, I think, so like, what is blockchain? Blockchain is a shared ledger that nobody owns, right? If we think of blockchain like that, and it doesn't necessarily have to guarantee the other things, um, you could do a lot of cool stuff with that. Um I'm not entirely sure. What about interoperability between games, right? right you know, that's like, very yeah, you could, you could create a protocol, you know, it's like, I mean, it's like, you look at the system, like, but I think the challenge is like, the, the blockchain's fundamental problem is it's always been a solution in search of a problem, right? I always like to, rather than have some massive loyalty to this one idea, is to just look at the problem and see what the solution is that way. Uh, that's the way I always like to think. So like, you, you see platforms like Loot and that, that are clearly trying to, like, find a usage for NFTs. And, of course, there's these, you know, I mean, I'm, I may be misunderstanding it. I've only looked at it a little, but there's, like, 7,000 JSON files with, like, Diablo rarities of items. And then people are building cool applications on top of it, but it's, like, I don't want to pay $400 for a JSON file no matter what kind of cool applications are that. And what stops us from creating some other system where it's just... I mean, I just have a GitHub repository with some JSON files on it, and we just kind of have a jam. And yeah, maybe you have to kind of trust whoever owns that one GitHub repository with all those JSON files. But if you don't like theirs, you can fork it to Bob's and start playing in that ecosystem. Like, I think, I think the obsession with um, getting rich and the obsession with deflation um, and holding and immutability are some of the things that limit what we can do with blockchain. And I think, um, like, I, I think velocity of trust is more important than just like ironclad trust. Like the ability for me to change who I trust is a little more important in the fact that than in pretending like someone can never screw me, you know? Um, and I mean, I think we just ultimately have to grapple with the fact that, um, we're just trying to align incentives, and every time we do anything, we're trusting somebody. Every time I get on a plane, I'm 
trusting laws of physics I don't understand and a pilot I've never met not to kill me, you know? Right. And everyone on the plane not to murder me and take my money because I couldn't stop them. Um, and, and to take me to the country I want and not somewhere else, you know? <laughs> like, that's kind of... Um, I know I'm kind of meandering here, but um, I just probably have a fever, so that's why. I <laughs> know, oh, that's all, all great, Lars. Steve, do you have any final questions? I think those are all the questions for, for me. No, it's, it's entertaining. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. Yeah. And clearly you've thought very deeply about this. Right. And I, I, I think we appreciate your insights. Yeah. And I'm, I mostly just think, you know, just to sum it up, just I am not a complete downer on blockchain. I do think we shouldn't be dogmatically tied to the promises made by Bitcoin. We need to be honest about the limitations we have. And we need to step back away from the implementation details, right? You said you wanted me on because I'm a technologist, but I can say as a technologist that although I claim to understand at least some of the details, the really important stuff is just zooming out and be like, what is, what is this for in the first place? What problem does this solve, right? Um, and, and who can say where the world is going to be? We're going to have some digital currency in the future somehow, some way. We already do effectively. Um, and whether we keep calling it blockchain or not, I think there's a lot of brilliant people working on a lot of interesting stuff. And as long as they can find a way to not burn down the planet and not have to lie to each other about what promises things can and can't do. I mean, I say do your weird experiments, make cool stuff, and um, but maybe start with your problems rather than your solutions, right? Start with your problem and think about how to fix it rather than like, what can this cool tech be bent towards today? Um, and I think just the fact that there's so much FOMO from investment is pushing it the other way. It's like blockchain right. is a way to get funded, solving a boring problem in a way that doesn't manage to take the blocks that get people to call it blockchain kind of doesn't. And I think that's the real problem is people need to expand their imaginations. Um, basically. Anyway. Okay. All right. Great. Lars, that was incredible insights. Thank you so much for your time and for the rest of our audience. We'll catch you next time. Bye everybody. Thank you so much.